This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsliers.com. Hey, and welcome everybody to Deconstructor Fun Podcast. We got two hosts today, Joseph Kim and myself, Mishki Katkov. And this topic is like, the, the reason why we have two hosts is because this topic is, I would say mildly interesting. By mildly, I mean really interesting to both Jake, Jake, JK and myself. And we're gonna talk about cross-platform development. And we got none other, none other than Maxwell Zerith, ex-Riot producer, five years at Riot, working on cross-platform games. Maxwell, Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Definitely Maxwell. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I 
it's funny you reached out and I was like, I literally just left Riot. Uh, so uh, we can talk all about some Riot stuff. And then, you know, as well, honestly, my new role, I'm now at Servios as a senior producer, heading up a new project. It's got the next level of cross-platform challenges, which we are trying to tackle. So I can talk a little bit about that. Um, and it's, it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, been at Riot for five years before this. Um, what I'm most known publicly for, I worked in kind of new games for Riot for a long time, the whole time I was there, uh, but was a, a senior producer on Riot Forge, which is Riot's kind of indie publishing label, uh, working with a bunch of indie devs. Um, most notably, you know, Ruin King was one of my games that I was overseeing. That game already announced on, you name it for consoles, mm -hmm. it's basically every console uh, under the sun. Uh, and then of course, PC, um, foundationally. So, so that's, that's kind of, uh, sharing where we got to, um, and Hey, we're doing, you know, a lot of platforms all at once trying to achieve as much simultaneous, um, shipping as possible. So. And, and I just want to say the reason why, like Maxwell is here is like, we met at slush conference in arguably yeah. one of the best cities. We were just talking about how amazing Helsinki is. The coffee. <laughs> is so good yeah. it's the best in helsinki yeah yeah all right all right I'm not so gonna... <laughs> listen i had an art director i worked with at riot that was from finland and he drank the most coffee i've ever seen anyone drink and he's like well that's just how it is oh it's, so it's the highest in the world right Finland. Yeah, I... it's, it's crazy uh yeah. so your art director was santu right yeah. Oh God. You know, it's not too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. We worked in the yep. same team uh, at Supercell. I know. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just messaging yeah. with him. Like, yeah. He's moving yeah. back to Finland. Uh, he just told me. So yeah. 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 He's moving yeah. back. He's doing his dream. His dream was always to uh, buy a house and then work in the basement on his own games. And now he's doing that. He bought a house in the country and we it's going to talk about, we games. need to talk about that work on your own games. I might have some <laughs> ideas on, on, on the type of games that he could be, he should be working on. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that guy's amazing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's let's jump into this. So, cross-platform development, super hard. And going back to okay, not even going back to super hard. But before we start talking about how amazingly hard it is and what are all the all the challenges you need to tackle, what are the benefits of having your game across cross-platform, Max? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is like the easiest part of the whole conversation because. Foundationally, when you look at you know money coming in the door, you got to make a game. You've got to get revenue. More platforms opens you up to more players, higher potential audience. That means more potential revenue. That's like I think the fundamental thing that any business trying to think about is going to jump to first. I would argue that there's there's tangential benefits uh, later on that you can think about um, things like supporting play preference, especially if that's maybe one of your brand identities. So, you know, some people honestly want to play certain experiences on a mobile phone versus a console. Um, I know in the West, we don't look at mobile phones super often as like amazing things, but even still anecdotally get people calling this out that, hey, this type of game, I actually would love it on my phone because that's where I want to play it. Um, and I think it could be a big win. Otherwise, you know, accessibility is a big thing for folks. Um, platforms being available differs depending on the region you're looking at. Making your game available opens it up to different audience types. Um, and generally, I mean, on that front, I think when we go above and beyond, not just cross-platform, but in the cross-play realm, 
there's really cool stuff happening there. I mean, I think back to uh, this really hit me a few years ago when I had my brother come out to California and just hang out with me. And before, back when I was growing up, you'd have to like lug your console and all that crap and get it all set up, multiple TVs to play games together. And then like he comes over and we want to play Fortnite. And he's just like, well, I've got a PS4 and I have a PC. Why don't you play the PS4? I'll play the PC and we're just playing the same game together. Like that's the dream. That's that's amazing. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's a huge win to, to get those experiences and make it easier for people to play together. Just kind of like that yeah uh is a huge win so that's well in, in terms of that part the cross play part how, how did you guys treat that in, in terms of like whether you're trying to model like you know ccu and you know when you think about mm. how you're doing the matchmaking for people on different platforms like what's the general kind of framework that you should be thinking about that kind of stuff that's a good question i mean i, I don't really have a lot on that front because i wasn't running on the live service mostly the games I primarily focused on are premium. So things like CCU okay. were not a metric we were heavily focused on. Um, it. it was really about audience reach and how do you reach uh, a wider net of folks? Um, you know, from, from my standpoint and where I was at, I spent all my time at Riot thinking about how do we expand Riot's IP? And if you're familiar with Riot, Riot was very focused on PC for the longest, longest time up until like a year ago. Uh, with you know Legends of Runeterra coming out on mobile and TFT on mobile now and Wild Rift, uh, but one area we we always saw was like we don't have a console game, uh, and we know Western audiences play really heavily on console. So there was always this thinking of like what resonates there, how could we approach that, and that's where there was a push of like could we do premium offerings and what what does that look like um, in that space? So got it. Yeah, and of course, like as you said, more platforms, more players, and that leads to more revenue, yeah. different places, accessibility, and especially like why it's so interesting for a lot of mobile folks right now is because of yeah. the ATT and the IDFA deprecation. Marketing becomes more difficult. So we see a lot of, you know, first of all, mobile games have increased their quality significantly. Yeah. And, and yeah. secondly, like now they're looking for other avenues to grow. So of course, cross-platform is there for us. Yeah. I mean, the thing I've always gone to, like, and, and working with studios at, at uh, on Forge, honestly, just looking at, you just look at the audiences in, you know, Southeast Asia or other Asian territories. And over there, mobile is so dominant. And we spend a lot of time just like convincing teams that, listen, it's not necessarily about making the absolute best mobile game. It's making it available to play because many of those players just want to play like that's what they have available it's hard to get into pcs they don't have a personal pc they'll go to a pc bomb but they always carry their mobile phone with them and so they can go hang out with friends they can check that out they can play it how can we make it an acceptable and good experience on phone so that they can they can play it that's like the question that constantly we would we would work with and that's you know that's coming from like working with a lot of western devs primarily um it just hasn't, I don't know if it's seeped into uh, Western Dev's mindset a lot, but hey, actually mobile is a huge opportunity space and there's so much convergence going on uh, with input methods and how those things run between them, but you can make a great experience regardless of platform, in my opinion. Um, so so you, you worked a lot with uh, with both, I mean, external devs and of course Riot is very, was very PC focused. Like how come, how come the devs, you know, in both companies, we're kind of overlooking 
mobile. I mean, when you look at the pay, I understand five years ago, the devices were quite different than what yep. they are right now. Like people like if you take like Samsung Ultra or whatever, yeah. One Plus, you know, 5200G, whatever the yeah. names are, they're insane. Like they're, they're yeah, yeah. computers. I mean, I don't know how much I can I can speak to the foundational reasons for Riot, but at least the, the general thinking like was we had a, like League of Legends is massively successful. Um, uh, if you think that through that lens from a business standpoint, um, to be able to do mobile just basically would mean siphoning off resources. Uh, and so if you ask like five, eight years ago, could we do mobile? I mean, we had a game that was exploding in popularity uh, and you're saying let's split off a bunch of resources when we can't even staff and get our current team filled up quick enough to now do this other spinoff. I mean, I think that's likely kind of the decision-making. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's not that there was oh, screw mobile, we don't ever want to do mobile. It's that, hey, you know, Riot had a massively successful game. They're, they're driving that, it needs to grow. Um, and you would risk it by potentially splitting splitting off. Obviously, you know, with Wild Rift, there's a big push. I mean, Legends of Runeterra, uh, Riot is definitely in a spot where they've been thinking about how can we work on multiple platforms? We know player bases are moving to different platforms. How do we support that? What are the right platforms um, to be on? So... But I think they're following the trend of, you know, the industry saying experiences can live on anything. Let's, yeah. let, how do we do that? How do we make sure that these games can work on all platforms? Yeah. So, and probably every League of Legends players also plays mobile games. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, there's so much data out there. This is what surprised me. I assumed initially there was a, a like single device focus for a lot of gamers. And then you actually just look at research into player behaviors and availability of, of devices and how many hours they play games on. And what you actually find is that a lot of gamers play on two to three different devices. Like they'll still play mobile games. They may not call it as like hardcore games, but they're still playing a mobile game. They'll check out PC games, they'll play console games. There's not this rigidity we see of like console wars um, or console versus PC. Players are still playing on both. So. I feel like you kind of have to think about it as, well, how do we service both ultimately? Um, and again, I go back to the player preference. How do we enable players preference to, to work out? So, Maxwell, when you were talking about like the team and the resources for, you know, whether it's mobile versus PC or PC, PC for example. Yeah. So do you view that in terms of when you're approaching development, do you, do you view development cross-platform as a single team now or do you view that as multiple teams or is it dependent on the game or from a team structure perspective how, how do you think about that uh it depends uh, um uh most often i do like to think about it as uh there's the primary team which has a specific device focus um that they're designing around and then secondary teams that are helping to adapt any unique cases. Uh, so an example being like, for working on a PC and console game, we probably will pick an input method as the primary path. And if it's controller, we'll probably target uh, uh, a specific uh, console. That might be depending on, you know, lowest common denominator where, okay, this is the gonna be the most restrictive. So this is gonna be our target platform that we're working against. And then how do we scale up from there? Usually that's a lot easier. Uh, 
we'll put the team against that. And then we'll have other folks assigned to other, um, other platforms to help migrate any challenges. I will say, you know, it's actually really interesting as you bring on new platforms mid-development, how quickly those requirements start to seep across the team. Um, so for instance, one of the projects I was working on, uh, which I can't name, uh, was PC only for a long time. And then we decided we wanted to bring console into the mix. Um, and we hadn't been thinking about it for control scheme. Whatsoever. Uh, so we partnered with this, uh, another team to help bring in, hey, can we migrate this to console? But as we started to do that, started to inform the core design team on the game of, okay, well, controller is going to be an important part. Let's start thinking about how we change you know, inputs and what types of abilities or uh, mechanics we might be able to use. That's going to work on both PC and console. Uh, and it just slowly seeped across the whole team to think about these, these common threads. Um, so, so yeah, I guess like to sum that all up, um, generally I think of core platform, uh, what's going to be the launch set, get the core team working on that. And ideally the lowest, you know, tech, uh, uh platform, the lowest performance platform, and then think about anything else as separate teams, um, coming in. So, um, so I got a question, like, do you, when you choose the platform, like, how do you choose the main platform? Is it the one that is hardest to make for or is it the one that is easiest to make for or is it the one that will have the biggest bang for the buck um, yeah like how do you choose that man i wish there was an easy answer um the things i look at are are things like early onset we're doing this right now uh, at servius but what platforms are people playing this genre on you know where are the common uh comparable gameplay experiences from there honestly you got to talk about money a little bit so how many players do we think exist that want that type of experience mm -hmm. where's a decent sized audience to achieve our business goals let's start thinking about there and then sometimes there's a bit of like team passion that's thrown in there you know if the team is really like we want to push we want to show our technical capabilities then it's like Okay, well, if that's true, then let's pick high end and try to push the bar. Let's not constrain you early in the development process. Let's go high and then we will solve the lower devices later on and we'll dedicate time to it or we'll bring in additional resources and create a splinter team, uh, splintered off team to tackle that. Um, and so all of those methods are, are honestly viable um, uh, in my mind. Um, but I think foundationally, the thing I focus on is what's the product strategy? What are the goals that you're trying to achieve? What are the outcomes you want with the game? How does the development strategy then follow and service those? So product strategy side, how many players do we need? Where does the core audience actually live at? Can we deliver that? Um, you know, does the team want to create a certain brand identity? Should we strive for that? okay, what's the development strategy that supports those product objectives? If those two things are in misalignment, like I find that you start to run into some weird spots where executive team or marketing is mis-messaging and now you're like playing this weird dance between different folks. Um, and that just unfortunately thrashes the development team at the end of the day. That's so. actually, or sorry, just get, uh, no, just I just one quick question. To summarize that, that that's actually a really good point of, because normally when we think about cross-platform development and not having done it, it feels like, oh shit, we're going on all platforms. Like we're opening up like 15 different fronts. But what you're saying is like, no, 
there's no rule where to decide. It's basically the product strategy that you formulate. And then once you decide that's your main front, yeah. everything else comes afterwards. You solve, you start solving downstream and you put it as like, cool, we're going to have the dev team focus here. And that's the thing. you got to balance team focus, right? You can't have, uh, you know, if you have a small team, you can't have them focused on 12 platforms at once or six is like the common thread right now. That's a shit ton of platforms. Uh, all of them have different, you know, ways of handling things. They all have different requirements. That's a lot of stuff for a team to think about. So ideally you can get them focused on a target area where you really want to win. And then you start to create separate focus groups that can just achieve migration of that. And sometimes, sometimes teams hate the migration work. Other teams love it. And they find that as a thrilling challenge to be like, cool, this is something that is really working over on a console. How the hell do we make it work on mobile? Um, that's challenging, but there's teams out there that love that kind of work. Um, and so it, it's helpful to find that, that passion. So Maxwell, when you, you talked about a previous game where you guys had been focused on PC and then later decided yeah. to go to console, but maybe in the, uh, and I think the approach that you talk about makes sense. You, so you pick a target platform and then you talk, and then you think about migrating to other platforms, but yeah. in terms of like, what are some of the key things that you should be keeping in mind early in the development cycle so that when you migrate, you save time, money, or yeah. you have less issues, whether it's art pipeline, you know, net code, you know, tick rate, uh, you know, what, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if you could talk about what are the key things that if let's say I'm going from mobile to PC or vice versa, what yeah. are the, the key things that developers would need to keep in mind? I mean, unfortunately, like, I feel like this is such an old problem in the industry, but uh, memory is a critical thing. Uh, if you know you want to land on a certain device at some point in time, keeping an eye on memory footprint through development is super critical. Cause honestly, like even high-end phones today are giving you such a minimal amount. Uh, like switch, I think gives you like 3.4, if I remember correctly, uh, available, you know, four gig on the system, 3.4 is actually available for you to use, but then top end iPhones have three gigs. So even if you're going to do a switch and mobile game, all of a sudden you're now accessing at best to something on an, a high-end iPhone. And by the way, most audiences aren't on a high-end iPhone. Um, you need to usually look like two years back to get like a common footprint of phones. And that's optimistic if you're not thinking about Southeast Asia, uh, which is like five years back. And then you're talking one gig you have available. And now suddenly like, okay, what can you do with one gig? That's a heavy constraint. So just keep an eye out for that can help you avoid like disastrous results. Um, how are you managing level loading? How are you managing number of characters on screen? How do you, how many different characters can you do? All of these things are kind of things you can keep in the back of your mind. The one that I learned the hard way was also um, UI development is really important to think about uh, and particularly focusing on lowest um, size screen first, because it's very easy to scale UI up uh, and make it uh, expand to whatever screen size. It's very hard to take a dense screen and bring it down to a smaller one. That's where you're going to like deal with all sorts of user experience problems. Uh, uh, I mean, text legibility is miserable as you get down to smaller screens. Um, and even the switch, the switch, you can't think about the TV screen. You have to think about the handheld screen because the TV want to work. It's when you're playing at that, what is it? 
five inches or so. That's tiny, um, six inches, whatever it is. Um, so that's another one that like teams typically uh, uh, need to be cognizant of throughout. I would say before inputs were really important, but honestly, this is why I was saying with like convergence inputs, I think we are finding more and more models that allow you to deal with pretty much any kind of experience. I mean, the fact that PUBG and Fortnite are super playable and enjoyable experiences on mobile. Now I get some people might not agree with that, but there's a lot of people that can do amazing stuff uh, on Fortnite on mobile that are amazingly talented. Uh, it works. You can do it. Um, same thing with like, you know, was it 10 years ago? The idea of mouse selection on console was a nightmare. Um, and yet like Destiny really moved the needle forward and created the model that I think every other game is copying right now, which is, guess what? We have a cursor that you move around. And assuming you don't need fast like thinking or reaction time on that, you're good. You can do mouse clicking, it's fine. Um, so uh, that one I think is starting to go away though. You know, I've seen some teams really struggle with that uh, along the way still, but I don't know. Those are the ones that I usually focus on. Um, I'm sure if you asked a, a tech director uh, or an engineering lead, they'd probably call out like a dozen more things like animation, uh, sizes. Right. Or even that. like art style. So, do, you, do you have a number of conversations about art style, you know, before, mm, let's say you're doing a game for mobile and PC in terms of yeah. like not being too realistic so that, like, for example, Fortnite, I think they use same assets across yeah. both mobile and PC and console. Right? And they have the benefit of that because they also have a simple look. Um, right, so they, right, can, right. they can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of. To be honest, I've been working mainly in stylistic. So it's okay. it's worked out well. I'm actually you got thinking it for free of, anyway. uh, <laughs> I got it for free anyways, basically. Um, uh, realism though is something I'm starting to tackle now at Servios. Um, okay. And I am, this is actively in the back of my mind is, how do we deal with that as we go to uh, platforms that are more constrained? Will, how does realism hold up here or what can we sacrifice from a realistic look um, to achieve something that's more performant on a, on a device? So that's, that's a, honestly a good question. I would love to hear people's takes on that, so. So let's get back to, to your work in, in cross-platform and then kind of like your, your experience on the team, like what were the certain things that you were expecting as you were going into, you know, cross-platform development and what are the sort of things that came out of the surprise? I'm mainly asking because a lot of people listening to this are thinking about going to cross-platform and they're kind of, they, they have certain expectations and I'm sure that those expectations are pretty much the same as you had in the beginning. And then kind of like, what, what's the reality versus the expectation? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I'm trying to think through like, what, what do we have in terms of big surprises? Um, I mean, the stuff I dealt with that I wasn't expecting was like <laughs> code migrations, like trying to maintain, if you want to have a single consistent version of the game across platforms, dealing with code migrations is a pain in the ass uh, and was so much more painful than I was expecting. Um, where all of a sudden you have, you know, core development, moving things forward, and then you need to migrate down to other platforms, have those platforms be able to do checks against, you know, on their devices, let's validate that things are working. Depending on how engines are built, um, 
to be fair, Unreal and, and Unity solved most of this for you. But if you're in a proprietary engine, this can be a nightmare. What did you break from a rendering perspective uh, all the time? Planning work to be like, all right, well, every sprint, every month, we're going to dedicate X amount of time to just getting those platforms up and running again and making sure that they're stable. And then as you think about release planning and you're like, all right, well, PC, we can ship, you know, in 24 hours, we have to not only migrate the code, we need to move it down to the, you know, Xbox or PS4, then we need to get it ready. And then we have to assert all of a sudden our release pipeline just turned into, you know, minimum four weeks potentially um, to get a build ready. Now that affects product releases and when you want to get games out the door and then you have to ask, do you want things in sync? Are you okay with drift between versions? Which if you're in a cross-play world, you can't deal with drift because, you know, ultimately people need to be running the same experience uh, client side. So um, that was something I wasn't really expecting to need to deal with. Um, even with like doing some stuff in Unreal and Unity, um, I'm still surprised by the amount of gaps that exist between the platforms. Something where you're compiling on every platform and every change list. Awesome, cool, running it. And then you play the game and you're like, I've got some random ass bug that is only on Nintendo Switch. Um, and it's and it's a functional, it, it seems like a functional bug. And you're like, why is there a functional bug here? It doesn't exist on any other platform. Oh, well, it's because some random rendering thing happens differently on this platform. So that's what resulted in some change happening. And it's like, all right, well, we need someone that can start to focus on that platform. We need testing folks that are dedicated to that platform. We need to be running test cycles across all platforms uh, at the same time. It does become a, a daunting challenge, but um, I mean, ultimately it's also gotten a crap ton easier. I mean, the fact you don't have to deal with that migration anymore um, because of Unreal and Unity, that's a huge win. Um, an example I'll say that surprised me too is like uh, Airship Syndicate who's working on Ruin King. You know, they're a small team. Um, and yet they're running a game on like six platforms basically. And they're at this point where like, we're doubling up. We have more platforms than engineers on a team. So they're like, okay, well, double up. And you couldn't do that 10 years ago. Now here's a small indie team that's basically working on six platforms simultaneously. It's impressive that we can do that kind of stuff um, right there. So, so what, I don't know. If somebody would ask you like, which one would you choose? Is it better to to say kind of focus on one and do others at the same time? Or would you rather advise, if, I mean, unless you don't have unlimited resources, would you add, rather advise those studios to, to maybe ship the one that they're working on so that they can get to a kind of stable phase and then start doing the, uh, the ports to other platforms so that they don't have to figure out these bugs that are platform specific in the yeah. middle development? I usually, I, I lean on team focus, like focus in on your core core platform. And especially for smaller teams, like what that does for you is it starts to solve cash flow problems to be, to be blunt, like get some revenue back in so you can sustain and migrate and grow over time. Uh, just because you launched a game doesn't mean you can't launch it on another platform and find success there later on. It's okay. You can bring it to other platforms. People do this all the time on Switch right now. Um, and I... Initially, I thought it would be easy to do it. Switch is not easy to get a game out simultaneously on. Like, I actually am surprised at how few teams have done that. Um, but it's proven again and again, 
you can do a game on PS4, Xbox, or PC, bring it to Switch six months later, a year later, and it does massively well. People want to play it on Switch. That's fine. And that's, that's typically what I would say is like, focus on your core platform, then solve the problems for the other one. If you pre-solve too many things, you'll get in a rabbit hole and you may stretch yourself too thin. So you may have to make a, a hard call and say, stop thinking about X platform, just stop. We will solve those all post-launch, it's fine. We will dedicate effort. But it also, as I was calling out earlier, it does require a different mindset between pushing to make the primary platform a win and then migrating, different set of challenges, a completely different approach to solving those problems. Um, and some teams don't like that second one. Some teams love that work. It's really hard to, to match that up. So sometimes you just have to do it. I mean, that's that's the, the fun side of it, so. Maxwell, do you have any like general heuristics in, in terms of like what additional budget is when you're going from one platform to the next, whether it's mobile to PC or vice versa, or how do you approach the budgeting process in terms of like, you know, the, the general approach? Yeah, uh, I wish there was a standard. I, I'd probably be skewered if there's any kind of standard uh, that existed because it's so dependent on the game and what that experience is and how you're using um, your resources in the game. Um, effectively though, how can I answer this, this uh, in a decent way? Generally, I think it just requires someone to investigate and start to generate an estimate out of there. Like there are teams that can help you do this. There are a ton of studios that specialize in porting that are, also, are willing to also talk to you about just how do you do it? How can you get this done? They'll take a poke at the code and give you some advice. Um, uh, now, usually, obviously, they want business, um, so you probably need to approach thinking, hey, I potentially need a team to own this, but can you give me a sense of what this is? And, you know, the traditional rule of thumb of, like, get multiple quotes um, will help you gauge what the cost really is and help you see our teams actually identifying different problems and how will teams solve uh, new things. Um, and so, I mean, rule of thumb, there's not really an easy one. Uh it's certainly easier to go up though than it is to go down. I'll say that much. Expect it to be a lot cheaper to move something from Switch onto a PS4 or Xbox than it is to take a PS5 game and all suddenly expect it to work on Switch um, quickly because it's not. It's just not going to do that. Um, so, oh, so moving up is cheaper. It's usually significantly easier because I mean you've got more horsepower. Like you just don't have to worry about the constraints yeah. as much. But when you start to crunch things down to mobile, uh, mobile or honestly switches, basically a high-end uh, phone, that's where no things way. get really good. Uh, yeah, arguably, arguably, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where you start to deal with things like, the, as I call that memory footprint. You know, if your game is, is you know, loading a scene in your game, if it's gonna eat up three to four gigabytes, okay, what do you do now when you have half that space available to you? What do you start cutting out of the experience? Do you just crunch down the textures? Does that work? Is that a viable solution? Do you need to rebuild them? Do you need to potentially get in there and do you know modifications to the scene to say like, let's strip some assets out. Let's just remove them so we have less things um, that are eating up memory and we could potentially reduce you know, the number of objects. 
all of those things start to constrain uh, you. And that's, that's where a bunch of work can occur. Um, animations, one that often you don't really expect initially, and then you start to crunch it down and you're like, it's too much animation data in the scene. What do you do in that case? You, do you just try to streamline the animations? Do you remove characters because you can't store their stuff in memory? That's get, that gets really challenging uh, at that point. So, and then you start questioning, when does a compromise gameplay, uh, right? Because I think most people want to try to deliver, they focus on delivering the same gameplay experience. And I think that's the best world is players on mobile experience the same game as players on console. Uh, they get to have the same gameplay. When do you start to break that down if you're pulling it all the way down to mobile? Mm -hmm. um, yeah but moving up you got more resources fine just throw throw it on there you're good you don't have to worry about these questions um you know you might have to think about things like do you want to use the ps5's haptic triggers that's that's the easy stuff that's not that's not super costly but hmm so uh let's talk about you know this is might not be something that you have that much experience of and that is yeah running a game on multiple cross -plat multiple platforms. So in your experience or in your opinion, um, how would you do it? Like, do you, would you have separate product teams focus on different versions? Because when I'm thinking about it, the data has to be absolutely different, whether you're running a PC SKU or a console SKU or a mobile SKU. I mean, even, even down, to, down to the basic metrics, they have to be all different. So it's kind of hard to to um yeah. yeah hard to see like, what's what does success look like i think that's tricky i mean this is definitely going to go into opinion territory because mm -hmm. i haven't i haven't dealt with managing a live service game on multiple platforms um i'm actually really curious how things like fortnite is pulling this off or honestly so i've been looking at roblox a ton lately um and it's fascinating to me to watch Roblox and how they've exploded and, you know, things just work on mobile and PC. It's impressive, but, but how exactly are they, they dealing with that? And so my hunch here would be, you want to try to move as much of the gameplay data server side as possible and stick to primarily assets on the local client. Um, now there's obviously like input logic that needs to exist on the client side and everything. So you're dealing with a specific interface that, that the device has, whether that's, you know, controller or keyboard, mouse, et cetera. But ideally most of the gameplay data uh, and in some cases processing is done server side. Um, so you don't have to deal with all of those computational resources on the client. Um, and that would be my hunch as to how like Fortnite tackles this um, ultimately. Uh, but then you start getting into questions. I still am wondering about the release cadence that I called out. Um, you know, I know Sony and Microsoft are trying to find ways to do faster release processes for these teams because nowadays crossplay is huge. People want to be playing with different devices and you can't have the lag on the client side. Um, uh, exists. So how do you get games out the door faster? We can't, you know, there used to be two weeks, 
checks from Sony Microsoft for a release. Um, you can't do that anymore because that delays the PC version for two weeks. Um, so how do you bring those two in line? How do you schedule for that? That's super tricky, um, ultimately. Um, and I'll say like, you know, one thing Riot did succeed at really well at is they established uh, what they called like their release train and a consistent schedule for it. So it was no longer about when do we have the right features to go out? It's no, the train is leaving the station at X time. Whatever code is on the, that train is going out the door um, unless it completely destroys things. And like that mindset can help you just get a consistent cadence and, and manage it. Like if I do end up running a live service, I'm taking that thinking and going to apply it. We're just doing consistent releases and we figure out what content is going to exist in those releases. We don't plan features as the release. We mm -hmm. map features to a given time frame, not the other way around. So interesting. Other way, other way being like World of Warcraft, thinking about, well, we need to have feature X. And you know, 1.3 is gonna be with feature X. Instead, it's 1.3 is whatever's in there. And then we tell you what's in in that patch going out. Um, so hey, Maxwell, I've got a question about in, in terms of, you know, whether it's content updating or title updates and things yeah. like that. And coming from the mobile space, not having as much experience on the PC and console side, would you say it's fair to think that, that like the capabilities and tools for bug reporting and fixing bugs and things of that nature might be actually a lot more critical on the PC and console side because of the, you know, because I imagine it's a lot harder to be able to do content updates in terms of not, not parameters, but code and things of that nature on the PC console side, or could you do, can you characterize that aspect of the development as well? Just like, sorry, I'm going to try to clarify, just like how we handle the QA across those platforms or? Well, in, in terms of like, if there's, if there's a bug or an exploit, mm -hmm. then, you know, I mean, on, on the mobile side, it's, it's kind of fast and easy to just kind of update stuff, but I imagine yeah. it's a lot harder on the PC console side. And so is that something that you think about on the PC console side? Like, oh, you know, like we can be a little bit more cavalier on the mobile side in terms of, well, if there's a bug, we'll just kind of fix it. But on the PC console side, do you actually have to be a lot more proactive and be like, okay, yeah. we actually really need to think this through because if there is a bug or exploit, we might actually be hosed. Yeah. Uh, but, but just wondering if you could talk to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Again, depends on the game. So premium games, the thing I would go to is, is it actually a problem if someone exploits the game? Uh, it's a single player game. Right, or, okay. You know, it's your own driven, you're ruining your own experience. I, I don't need to control that for you. Sure, I'll patch it. Um, but if you want to break the game, actually, I encourage that. I would love you to break the game. That's fun. Um, that's an exciting thing. On a multiplayer game, obviously that's a different, different thing, right? If someone's got a, a game breaking exploit, that's a huge problem. Um, so as much as I like, even on single player, I was like forecasting out, like we need to have planned, you know, day, day one patches. And then probably within first week planning a patch. And usually you're segmenting the release by saying, okay, well, day seven patch is basically have to be cut X amount of time beforehand. So we just need QA to be hammering it as hard as possible. And then what patch is the first patch that has players touching the game that we were able to see what they did and respond to it? And how quickly can we get that out the door? That's the thing that like you have to be thinking about um, as you go to launch. Um, that said, the first parties are 
fantastic at like helping you through this. They don't want these things to happen. If you have to get a hot fix out the door, they will help you get it out the door as quickly as possible. Um, like they are willing to work with you on saying like, yo, you got a big game. Uh, by the way, someone has a crash on it that, you know, wasn't malicious. We just didn't catch it. And now that we've hit hundred thousand people, a million people, all of a sudden it's happening. Um, every group is willing to jump in that because everyone's brand and perception is on the line there. So like you can work through that as quickly as you need to. The challenge being like, do you probably go back to the gold master version? Do you patch it from there? Uh, and then do you roll different builds out of that? Is it on every build? How quickly can you test every platform for that bug and see if it's working? Ideally, you have dedicated testers for each platform just because they start to master what that platform's experience is. That can help you streamline that, that uh, evaluation and then quickly get that patch you know, primed, ready, out the door. And then, of course, you have to deal with migrating it back into whatever other updates you were running in parallel, making sure everyone can get their code uh, uh, into the same shared version for the scheduled patch that's coming up. So, um, I mean, is it more difficult? Yeah, it's a lot more coordination, um, but I don't think it's anything really unique um, compared to it. You do this during development anyways. You're going to see it early on. You'll see issues pop up per platform where you're like, Someone wants to check out the Switch version. Oh, crap, Switch has this problem with it. Okay, let's fix that problem. We need to get a separate build out, et cetera. Just ends up getting more stakes as you add more players into it um, at the end of the day. So, Max, your, ne Max, well, your next project is cross-platform, right? And yep. what, are you, what are you doing differently now with all the five years of experience of working on cross-platform games? Yeah. Uh, it's not just cross-platform. It's kind of a new space. Um, we're tackling something that we call cross-reality, uh, which is the idea. So Servius is well known for VR games. Um, what we want to live in a world of, though, is people that can experience the same game on things like a console with a TV and have a good VR experience. And now we're starting to touch like an input uh, a paradigm and shift that is pretty new. Like, VR inputs are still rapidly evolving. And then you're saying, okay, well, how do we make sure someone can play with a controller uh, on a TV the same and get a similar same experience as someone that's jumping into VR? And the VR experience is still as immersive as any other top tier VR experience. That's the challenge we're like trying to push for right now. And to be blunt, we haven't really done it. Um, and if you look at other experiences out there, there's very few, um, you see a lot of, console games kind of do a halfway migration to VR, um, but you haven't really seen a lot of VR games migrate to console or PC and just work there. Um, and so that's the challenge we have right now. And we're talking a lot about how do we strategize around that? What do we want to do? Um, there's like some models that I've been floating around of trying to deal with interaction touch points in the experience and segmenting out like specific user behaviors and having a team dedicated to implementing those uh, in one way on the core PC console space and then having a dedicated expertise in VR that migrates that experience over with the full like physics interaction um, and uh, you know full motion uh, controls and everything. Uh, but 
our expectation is like, we have to think about this as a delayed experience. It's going to be nearly impossible to merge these back into the same thing. Now it's a question we have, like there is kind of this fundamental, can we even have it on the, sh the same executable or do we just have to diverge these and always have core game and then migrate down to VR? Uh, I shouldn't even say down to VR. It's really like migrate up to VR because VR is, is so much harder uh, for development. Um, but that is something that like, we are going to continue, continue to deal with, I think for the next year, probably in development and trying to throw basically different approaches, uh, at the wall and see what's working and what's the most effective. The other thing that's bugging me is uh, performance. So, you know, effectively we want to be working on next gen titles. Uh, but even when you look at prior platforms, so the PlayStation four, Imagine you worked on a game for PlayStation 4 and then all of a sudden they said, all right, let's put it on PSVR. Well, all of a sudden you have basically double frame rate, twice the number of pixels you need to deal with. You're now heavily constrained. Uh, like what, what can you do? Um, that's kind of the world we're living with is even in next gen, we have to assume that we're going to be expected to run at a much higher frame rate. We're gonna need to push a lot more pixels at that high frame rate. So how do we deal with that problem? Do we constrain the base skew um, or do we find other ways to manage basically asset migration to two versions of assets that can run across both platforms? It's a good question uh, for us right now, but luckily like Servius has a ton of experience in VR. So they're helping identify these early problems uh, and saying like, this is what works in VR. This is where you're gonna fall down. So how can we embed that thinking in the core team to preemptively identify pain points and then plan for solutions that we think will migrate easier into VR? Um, so that's, that's where a lot of learning is, is let's get a dedicated team working on VR. We think that that is going to be needed, but then how do we embed the knowledge on the core team to identify interactions that will need to transition? And how do we make that easier for the VR team down the road? That's our current thinking on it. Hey, Maxwell, I've got a question about data and sort of data telemetry. When, yeah. So, I mean, not having experience on the PC console side, on the mobile side, you know, we're used to being able to track everything, every, yep. every tap, everything. But when it comes to PC console, could you speak to whether there are any limitations as far as data telemetry, getting data back about player behavior, things of that nature. And even from the store perspective, whether it's yeah. Steam, Epic Store, you know, Microsoft, Sony, are there any limitations yeah. in terms of like IAP purchases and things like that, that data coming back? Uh, I don't know how much I can say due to okay. like NDAs with those groups, but uh, what I can't, I'll, I'll stay high level. Um, okay. Generally speaking, uh, there's not really a lot of concerns about what there are concerns, but you can track effectively the same things um, okay. on PC and console. Where things, of course, get muddy are around um, uh, basically uh, uh, the GDPR regulations and um, I forget what it's called, tier one and tier two data, uh, where it starts to become personally identifiable. Um, that's where you start to run into issues. And the first parties are very conscious of those things. Um, so can you get this data? Yes, sometimes it requires a bit more conversations. And honestly, there's a bit of like, 
do you really need that data for what you're doing? Um, do you actually need to know like email? Uh, do you need to correlate it across uh, different services? I have my own personal opinions. I, I don't think it's absolutely needed. Um, but if you're looking for like gameplay telemetry, behaviors, in-game, et cetera, open field, you can grab it all, um, do what you need to. There are some limitations, I believe, if I remember correctly, around like um, number of calls you can do on consoles. So you have to be conscious of how often you're sending data, but uh, it's nothing that you can't work around ultimately. What about store data and associating to your point about associating that store purchase data to a user, is that? Uh, that's a conversation anyone should have with their first party rep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, uh, yeah, they should talk to the first party rep um, and figure that out. Uh, it is definitely the thing that's a little more close to the chest though, um, for, for storefronts. So, yeah. I think that cuts it. I mean, we, we really asked you all, all possible questions. <laughs> Jump from every side, million things. I don't think you have any questions to ask from us, but my kind of key takeaway from this is uh, the focus. Because a lot of the times when we talk about cross-platform development, especially with startups, like, you know, maybe the startups like myself or JK are running, <laughs> you know, it's always, it's always a push and like, yeah, you got to go cross-platform. That's the hottest thing. But yeah. what essentially you're saying is like, no guys, just concentrate on the one that you've chosen and then go cross-platform later if it makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, everyone wants to try to, again, the revenue is such a, an enticing thing to be like, but well, we could get more money, mm. but that could be disastrous from a development standpoint. So I'm always trying to say like, okay, what do we need to land on and let's focus there? What's the, again, product strategy, what's really important to win on, then let's hold the other problems for after. Let's wait on those ones uh, and start solving them independently. It's a problematic mindset. It's almost like an executive mindset where the question is like, all right, so you just don't have enough resources to do cross-platform. Like, what if we give you more money and you can hire more people and then you can do cross-platform and then you can make more money. It's like does it yeah. cross-platform from the get-go is more risk. It's not about yes. yep. it's not about like how many people we have. It's just like how much risk we can tolerate or we're yep. putting ourselves thin. Yeah. No matter how many I, the focusing, like I think of every platform as a, a cost on on basically like mental uh, uh, yes. budgets. Exactly. I mean, you talk about that with gameplay, right? Mental comple mental complexity, or like how much can you hold uh, in your mind at one point while playing a game? The same thing for development teams. Every platform incurs a cost of thinking mm -hmm. that is going to slow the team down. So if you're thinking about like we're gonna do mobile, PC, console, all right at the same time, no worries, team's gonna do it. They're going to grind to a standstill and they're gonna find shortcuts that maybe not are good outcomes for you. They may start just being like, screw it, mobile's the hardest, so we're just gonna do mobile all the way. And you're like, no, we really need PC and console to win. That's, the, that's why you need to have those product strategies and the development strategy in line because again, if they aren't, you could start running into some really disastrous outcomes. All right, so. you heard it first. <laughs> more platforms at the same time, more risk. Appreciate the teams that focus on one yep. first and then look at the other opportunities later. <laughs> yep, yep. JK, any more questions? No, it's all good. Thanks, Maxwell. Thanks, thanks for letting me crash your <laughs> interview. Totally. <laughs>
<laughs> I loved it. This is a great chat. A pleasure. Maxwell, how can people reach you? Uh, you can easily find me on Twitter uh, just by my name. Search it. I have a very unique name, so it's easy to find me. Uh, LinkedIn, similarly, find me there. Just shoot me a message. Um, both work easily. Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Maxwell. Have a great day, evening, whatever you're doing next. It's a day. All right. Take care, guys.